Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Why should CBUS members have insurance through CBUS Super? Maybe it's because we understand the risks of working in our industries. Maybe it's because we offer cover that is tailored to protect building and construction workers, even those working at heights. Or maybe it's all of these reasons. So why not consider CBUS Super? CBUS for all of us. To consider if CBUS is right for you, visit cbussuper.com.au for a copy of the PDS. I had to go about it, write it out and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. This is the Final Word Cricket Podcast. I'm Adam Collins. He's Jeff Lemon. Welcome, one, welcome all. Uh, another bumper episode. <laughs> Aren't they always, Jeff? Plenty to, to plough through. We've had an upset in the Under-19s World Cup Final. We've had an upset in the Allen Border Medal. We've had a, a relatively good uh, result in the Big Bash in that they got on to play the final after a deluge in Sydney, either side of it. Plenty of nerd pledge. The Statman segment for the first time. We've got the World T20 for the women coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, good evening to you, Jeff. How are you? Uh, I'm I'm outstanding. I'm I'm feeling good. It's been I've just watched that uh, final of the women's tri series today, and, and 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 had the pleasure of predicting everything absolutely correctly. Where I was like, hmm, <laughs> there'll be there's going to be another wicket here, and then they're going to lose seven for about twenty, and then that's exactly <laughs> what happened. Um, it, it's it's been it's been an interesting week. The bushfire game on the weekend was probably one of the most fun things that I think has happened in cricket. It was just a, a real good good news, good humour sort of day. Uh, and then the the cricket awards on Monday with little Davy Warner getting up for the big prize, um, <laughs> which was oh, shit, that was entertaining in itself. Um, but, but it was it was quite moving in its way at the same time. So it's been quite a week. Why don't we start with the charity game? Uh, because you were the boundary rider in this. I sometimes feel as though yeah. that is your calling. Uh, think about the boundary riders of our, of our youth. <laughs> Um, you know, uh, going around from ground to ground on, on a wet Saturday afternoon around the, the early days of us watching footy, you seem to have the right skill set for that. Did, did you enjoy interviewing um, players and officials and whatever else uh, as the sideline commentator? Yeah, I, I did. Me and, me and Tommy Morris, the, the boundary writers of the... Oh, great the stuff. I, I, no, no, I'm joking. I'm just saying, like, um, I, I don't think it would take <laughs> me as long to get kicked off the air as it did him. But um. I was going to say, if you, if, if you and Tommy... Had Tommy been brought back for the charity game? That, anyway, well, that's probably, no, that's no. Probably, Let's not go there. Um, so I, I was doing it on my own for the ABC, but it was great fun because it was it was so laid back. You know, I'm I'm down there tripping over pads and gloves in the, you, you know, trying to get out of the way of 500 different people who are running around the boundary line, and then there are kids coming on, and then there are firefighters coming through, and then there are all of these players and and all the the various staff that you couldn't keep track of, and the rest of it, and you're trying to get out of the way of one TV camera's shot, and then you're tripping over the helmets and landing in Tim Payne's lap on the bench and all the rest of it and everybody was very happy to talk it was it was just nice and, and good natured and with people having a um, you know pulling together and, and having a good time so who did you get a chance to uh, collar through the afternoon well if you know if, if you told me as a, as a young lad that one day you'll interview Brian Lara and Ricky Ponting on the same day <laughs> uh, I probably wouldn't have believed that um, if, if you told me as an older human being that one day you'll interview Shane Watson that would have been even more exciting so <laughs> I did, I did speak to the big rig. Um, I, I, oh, I spoke to I spoke to Phoebe Litchfield after she'd been out there batting with both Ponting and Lara. No big deal, as you do at sixteen. Uh, Justin Langer and I had an amicable chat. Nick Rewalt was around, nearly pulled off a ridiculous run out of his own bowling, which I think was out, but they were just being nice to, to Matthew Hayden. Um, Luke Hodge was 
guess the better of the two Hodges involved um, played better than How Brad about Hodge that? did. You, you, you often think about, you know, as Melbournians, we, we always say that... Um, Aussie rules players want to play for Australia, and Australian Test cricketers want to play Australian rules football. Kind of there's that mm. that that back and forth, and we've there's been a tradition of uh, footballers playing in charity games and doing really well. I remember Dino's testimonial. Um, Jason Dunstall made a half century, and uh, mm. Gary Ablett, of course, was caught by Plucker Duck on the boundary, or vice versa. <laughs> um, but uh, Paul, Paul it's hard Fatty to remember catcher. who at this point <laughs> now. <laughs> When Pluckaduck kicked it long for Ablett to hop up on the shoulders of Gary Pert and take the mark of the century. Oh, uh, the problem, I mean, I know this is a global podcast, but we have to indulge in these things from time to time. Just Google it. Just Google Pluckaduck and cricket and just Google Pluckaduck generally if you're not from Australia and you'll get plenty mm. out of that. Um, the, the, the other part, though, Jeff, I know that you were kind of Pink running late duck. to the Junction Oval. You, you, were, you, were running, you were running late to the mm. Junction Oval because you were playing yourself. And, well, yep. why, don't you, why don't you explain what happened next? <laughs> well, I, I got in for a couple of hours of, of my pub cricket match and I'm only bringing it up because we did talk on this show a few weeks ago about when I took a hat trick um, and so I think it's only fair to give the other side of the story so I, I, I went for a couple of hours and I said I've got to go to work later on but you know we, we were bowling first so it was come and help out in the field and, and bowl a couple of overs um, you know generally if you told someone you returned figures of one for 49 that seems like a pretty solid day at the crease when you fill in that that was off 12 deliveries um slightly less so <laughs> so but, but i do need to give a caveat that there's there's a bunch of sports grounds i think it's called the kevin bartlett sporting reserve or something which would be right up your street um in niche oh, there's sporting the, the infrastructure the, the, the old joke about the Kevin Bartlett field, uh, um, why's only, why, why only one side of the Kevin Bartlett Oval got grass on it? Why? They just comb it over from the other side. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I had not played at this particular ground before. It's da- down in Burnley, sort of south of Richmond. And there is a cricket pitch, I shit you not, on a soccer field, like on a rectangular football field with a synthetic pitch in the middle. It's just it's just a football pitch. It is the tiniest ground I have ever seen. Um, I, I think in... As far as I know in the history of pub cricket, Dan Toomey was the only person to make 100. Two of my teammates in the last three years have made hundreds at this ground <laughs> because, <laughs> because literally it's about a 20-metre boundary, I, I reckon. So you can play... There were, there were limp cut shots off the top edge that sailed for six and anything that you sort of chip off the pads goes for six. So it's... It's sixes galore. It was three hundred plus v three hundred plus uh, in this match and in pretty much anything else that's that's played there. So that's what I'm. I've got to say that in my defence. But um, look, I, I I rolled up. I fielded fine leg for a while. I nearly lost a nipple at one point because this guy just absolutely nailed a, a pull shot at me, and I it bounced on the ground, and I knew I I just had to stop it with my chest because I couldn't get anything else behind it. But it just skimmed the nipple and nothing else, and then like into my arm and stopped. And I genuinely had to check down the shirt. I thought that the nipple was gone because it was it hurt so much <laughs> but it didn't hurt as much as the bowling because then they, they brought me on a bowl and, and usually I'd, I'm very bad at it so I just bowl very slow and toss them up and rely on the fact that nobody knows how to wait for a cricket ball to come to them because they want to slog it and there was this bloke there at the other end and he got saw the first ball of the over and just waited and picked it up and hit six over mid-wicket and I thought I'm in trouble because this guy knows how to wait and then that's just what kept happening. So I very nearly got Yuvraj singed, um, but only got saved because I bowled one about a metre outside leg stump that he got a bottom edge on that rolled away for four. So 34 off the first over, um, which retired him, got rid of him, so I saw him off. And then they brought me back on immediately uh, and made me bowl another over <laughs> as soon as it was possible. Um, did a little better, one for 15 off that one. Um, <laughs> So pretty much off 10, 10 deliveries went for 48 runs because there were two, there was a dot ball, a wicket right. and a single in there. I, I, see a, I see a Night Watchman essay coming up here in, in, in documenting the games of cricket that have been played on, on soccer fields. So KB Oval can add yeah. to, it's, it's, uh, it's Stanford Bridge, isn't it, where there was a West Indian side that played um, a game in the 70s, obviously that being a football pitch. Mm-hmm. And Bramall Lane, 
there was a test match played there um, at, at Sheffield yep. uh, in 1902 or whatever it was. So there's a there's a few historical reference points, and, and you can add to it having had 49 runs taken from two overs, Jeff. <laughs> outstanding, and a big day down at the, the, the Juno after that. So you've had a busy weekend. Well, I'll tell you what, um, I did feel a bit bad when I got the text later that said that my team went down by eight runs. I thought, hmm, well, okay, that's that's probably quite a significant. But then I was told that the guy who slogged me for 34 also went for 34 of one of his overs. So <laughs> I felt a little bit better after. Beautiful, that. beautiful. Well, I'm I'm, I'm glad you're uh, I'm glad you're uh, you've recovered from your your big weekend. So that w- was my weekend. Uh, your weekend is marching steadily towards baby town. Yeah, yeah. Well, today's the um, the due date. Uh, as I've learnt through this process, and I've learnt a lot over the last three months, the due date means any, means nothing. If anything, it's a it's a prohibitive force. So we were just down at the, the midwife then uh, for our forty a week appointment, and the, the the midwife, who's an absolute legend, um, decided that it was time for me to feel the head. So she got me to um, grip the head of my child like a cricket ball, genuinely like a cricket ball. <laughs> Um, obviously outside the body, an external examination. Um, but uh, no, so, um, so uh, yeah, the, the head does feel uh, much as a cricket ball probably would. Or maybe that's just the, um, my, my bias thinking that everything around it is, is uh, mm. cricket ball shapes. But um, no, I'm the most um, pleasing part of, of the week as far as the baby is concerned is, is my knowledge that this child will be born into a world where the front foot no ball is adjudicated by the television umpire. Because <laughs> we saw the press release come out from the ICC a couple of days ago saying they've, they've scrapped the, uh, the central umpire's oversight of the front line. It's going to the TV umpire, something that I've been campaigning for for fucking years. And here it is. So I'm glad in a way um, the baby's held off and, and waiting uh, to come a little bit later because it'll never have to be exposed to, to, to umpires um, uh, missing the front foot, no balls. Something that's caused me so much hey, anguish over the journey. Round of applause for you. you you've done it. Well Pop. done, the ICC. <laughs> Crack the party poppers uh, over your own head there in the living room in London. Because, look, yeah. there may be a few things wrong with the world we live in. There may be a couple of ups and downs, but at least at least no Pakistani teenage debutante will ever be denied a wicket <laughs> on review by a no-ball um, again. We won't have to see that again, and, and, and thank God for that. Now, a quick update as well from Daniel Norcross, who's who's been doing his uh, tracing the timeline of World War Two to the timeline of a British winter, um, which means he's had to, you know, condense everything down into the days and hours of the... Is, is it a three-month span that he's been doing? Yeah, so for those who are picking up this episode and didn't listen to the couple where Dan filled in as the um, summer newsreader when Jeff was having a holiday, uh, the six months of the cold part of the English year, I suppose, the time when it's dark at night, um, when there's no cricket played, he's compared to the... the or, or linked up, rather, to the, the six years of the Second World War um, in, in the best traditions of, of Daniel Norcross. And he, he sent me a paragraph this morning, well, more, more a passage this morning, and instead of paraphrasing it, Jeff, I I think in in your uh, poetic uh, voice you should you should read it in full because it's very funny. I've just got Dan Norcross's voice in my head now, so I'll, I'll try not to be doing a direct <laughs> impression of him. But here we are. At the time of recording, you'll be around twenty second January nineteen forty four. It's a short month slash year, but longer than normal, being a leap year just as nineteen forty four was. In Aussie news, your boys have just routed the Japanese eighteenth army in New Guinea, inflicting around thirty five thousand casualties while losing only thirteen hundred fair dinkum straight-up non-draft dodgers, while Bradman is still conducting star jumps and pommel horse activities safely back home. (laughs) The Huon Peninsula is yours. Well done, chaps. Meanwhile, in Europe, the Allies are gradually pushing the Germans back in Italy, and later today, at around half-past midday, during your recording possibly, they will mount a surprise attack, landing 37,000 troops on the coast of Anzio. Last night, they bombed Sofia, Bulgaria, not a black-and-white movie star with elbow-length gloves, and have been setting up clandestine meetings with resistance forces in France, the Netherlands and Italy to beef up anti-Nazi activity in preparation for D-Day, which will happen on the 23rd of February, our time. And the grisly push through Italy, which is attritional stuff after the Germans reinforced the winter line in Italy. Great news from Russia, though, will arrive at about 10pm tonight with the end of the siege of Leningrad after 872 days. Finally, Operation Point Blank started yesterday and will continue for a while as Allied aircraft look to disable the German war machine in targeted raids across Europe. It's all building up to D-Day. Are you excited? 
I sure as hell am. He concludes by saying, again, in uh, classic Norcross fashion, thank you, Daniel, for uh, for that contribution. Uh, well, what more could you... It's hard to add to that, but um, we'll continue to um, track... Uh, 1944 and 1945 as we build towards the start mm. of the English season. Uh, Jeff, we're building towards our first set piece uh, of the episode, which is a conversation with Mohammed Assam from Crick Info. He's mm-hmm. their Bangladesh correspondent. And they have a, a wonderful uh, story to tell in Bangladesh this week after knocking off the, the mighty Indian side who were undefeated going into the World Cup final. But uh, Bangladesh did the job and we thought uh, what better time to, to get on a, a friend of ours to the show who has been covering the Bangladesh side for about 10 years for Crick Info and does a mighty job of it. The Under-19 World Cup have given us a lot of joy over the years. They, they gave us Rabada, Kahisa Rabada coming through. Uh, they gave us Lloyd Pope. Uh, that ridiculous spell mm. that he bowled against England. They've given us a couple of magnificent runouts of the non-striker, but now they've given us a Bangladesh victory, Tiger Time victory in the Under-19 World Cup final. What uh, what a treat that has been! And yes, yeah, so let's let's get on the phone and call Mohammed Isan. Oh, we're from Tiger, orange and black. Oh, we're from Tigerland. Oh, we're from Tigerland. A fighting fury, we're from Tigerland. In any weather, you will see us with a grin, risking head and shin. If we're behind, then never mind, we'll fight and fight and win, for we're from Tigerland. We never weaken till the final siren's gone. Like the tiger of old, we're strong and we're bold, for we're from Tiger. Orange and black. We're from Tigerland. Mohammed Assam, you've just coming straight from the airport in Dhaka to the uh, National Stadium to, to welcome the side back. What's the reception been like uh, at Dhaka Airport for the victorious under-19 side? I think I spotted about uh, 200 motorbikes outside the stadium on the highway. Uh, there are thousands <laughs> of people outside. It's absolutely crazy scene. And uh, they're clearing traffic everywhere. They're giving them a huge motorgate with all the you know armed forces around and the BCB are out in numbers. The entire cricket board is there. Cricket fans, media, of course. I mean, um, it just reminds me of, uh, I think, 23 years ago when the team came to uh, Dhaka from Kuala Lumpur from the ICC Trophy win. It just reminds me of that. Amazing. Uh, absolutely. Uh, it's a great time to be a Bangladeshi. So the first time that Bangladesh have, have won an ICC tournament, of course, but you, you mentioned the trophy win in, in 97, which was essentially an associate nation competition, which propelled Bangladesh into the 1999 World Cup. And of course, as history shows, they beat Pakistan at that tournament, which gave them um, a, almost a fast track to test status and, and so on. From, from your perspective, do you see uh, this tournament victory having a similar effect in terms of energising Bangladeshi cricket? This is going to re-energise Bangladesh cricket. It, it was at a bit of an ebb, at a bit of a low because of the World Cup performance and then how Shakib became you know, suspended by the ICC, uh, Bangladesh losing so many tests. The senior men's side not doing well. This has come as a surprise to the public and it will it'll really boost cricket. This one has the potential to take and look, it's the under-19s. You know, these kids will play for Bangladesh soon. I just, I just feel that you know, it has it has injected a bit of a fresh air into the into the country as well. And I guess it's a bit unusual for us to imagine Bangladesh with swagger. You know, so often the Bangladesh teams at the senior level have seemed a bit overawed or um, a bit timid in how they've approached the game. We we saw that had changed in the senior team at the Senior World Cup last year, but a lot of that was to do with Shakib as well and, and now that he's gone. So in order, you know, to have that swagger coming from somewhere else seems really important. Certainly. Um, if you look at the... If you look at worldview, beating India, I mean, for any team, whether it was New Zealand or Australia, beating India would have been the icing on the cake and Bangladesh. Under-19s and India under-19s, they're great rivals as well. So, not like the senior men's side that India are overwhelming favourites. Favorites. Bangladesh are at par with India for a long time. But again, they lost to India in three matches before this World Cup. This, these two setups. So, they have a bit of history. And then, of course, as you said, that uh, they have stumbled in front of India so many times. But this is a psychological boost. So, you know, even the senior men's side can take a bit of leap out of that young, you know, team book that how to beat India how to go at their face. And I spoke to uh, some of the support staff yesterday when they were coming back from uh, Johannesburg. 
And they said it was their conscious effort to be very, very aggressive at the field, to be very, you know, energetic, to, to you know, have their chest out against India because they didn't want to take a step back. It went overboard, obviously, right at the end. But ultimately, that body language, that opening spell by uh, Sakib and uh, Avishek and Soriful, you know, these are the three fast bowlers. Again, great future for Bangladesh, hopefully. Um, so they basically stole the... Uh, the whole momentum from India with that spell and then you know as you said Jeff it's basically it's been a long time that Bangladesh really you know dominated India it was a tough win but um, this 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 can make a bit of a difference Isami you mentioned that it went over the top a little bit at the end and is is that do we sort of take from that that the relationship with India and, and the rivalry with India is really building into I mean I'm not saying that was flattering it wasn't but does that sort of hint towards where Bangladesh see India now and they see them as a side they can um, flex their muscles that whereas in the past it hasn't quite had that dynamic absolutely uh, th- this has you know uh, unlimited potential uh, after beating India in this final I think it just uh, it'll, it'll bring a lot of kids back to cricket yes uh, this swagger I think it's been there at this level when when they leave the under-19s, they become a little... I think the, the system isn't great. The domestic cricket system here is not great. It's one of the shortcomings of Bangladesh cricket that they are uh, brilliant cricketers at, at the under-19 level and when they reach the national team, the, the senior team, uh, they lose a bit of that uh, swagger or, you know, a bit of quality there because of the lack of competition or the quality of competition that they play. And Assam, it wasn't just India either. They thrashed uh, South Africa in the quarters, uh, easily accounted for New Zealand in the semi-final. So in terms of the players we're looking at, who are the high-profile youngsters who are coming home as heroes at the moment? Of course, the skipper, Akbar Ali, uh, the wicketkeeper as well, was, was player of the final, uh, making 43 not out after coming in at four for not many. So he held his nerve and, uh, at, at the pointy end of the tournament. But who are the other players that we should be watching for as they as they graduate to senior international ranks over the next couple of years? There is, of course, uh, as you said, Akbar Ali is one of them. You have Mahmoudul Hassan Joy. He scored 100 against New Zealand in the semi-final. Very calm, very cool uh, batsman. Just smiled through the whole thing. Um, you have uh, Shamim Hossein Patwari. He's an all-rounder, off-spinner and a batsman. You have Shoriful Islam. He's a left-arm quick. Pretty quick. Good bowler. Got the angles mm-hmm. correct. And uh, he, he, looks like the, he looks the part. You have uh, you know, the opener, Tanzi Hassan, Tamim. Uh, I think they played with 13 players in the World Cup. That's another thing. I mean, they had their plans set. This was a very much a team effort. Uh, the coach, the, the trainer, the really excited uh, Richard Stonier from England. Uh, you have the really calm Navid Nevaz, the uh, former Sri Lanka vessel, who's the coach. So this is a combination of all these players. But I think the standout is Akbar Ali. For me, he his calm persona, he's been winning games for Bangladesh from nowhere several times at this under-19, you know, youth ODI level. And now this World Cup final, I mean, it was, it, sorry I'm saying this, but <laughs> it looked like a Dhoni sort of an inevitability that, oh, Akbar's there, it's, it's going to be okay. And the public also, I mean, whoever follows the under-19 team, they were like, yeah, yeah, Akbar is there. He's going to, he's going to bail it out. He's done it so many times at that level. And Isam, of course, uh, we've got the Women's World Cup coming up in a couple of weeks where the Bangladesh side play India in their first game. Of course, uh, the Bangladesh women beat India in the in the Asia Cup final a couple of years ago. So that's a big fixture on the 24th of February at the WACA. And then we'll be joining you in June, uh, Jeff and I, um, all things being equal. We'll both be in Bangladesh for those two test matches. And, and really, we, we cannot wait uh, to be back in your, your wonderful country. And my house, of course, you'll be in my place. <laughs> you know that, right? Absolutely. No, I, 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 uh, my very best to your family. Can't wait to see them again. And as always, uh, thanks for being such a great friend to us on The Final Word. We'll talk to you soon. Talk to you, Thanks to Mohammed Assam from Crick Info for joining us, Jeff. Uh, great to get that authentic experience with him driving from uh, from the airport or being in the car on the way from the airport uh, to the National Stadium. I've done that drive before, and it took me two and a half hours to go about eight kilometres. So he might have a bit of a a bit of a journey ahead of him. But uh, hearing all the horns in the background and uh, that scene uh, that he the picture he painted of that scene with the players at the airport. I mean, what a very exciting time for followers of Bangladesh cricket, which we which we have been for a long time. Yeah, well, that's that's the thing. They've been um, uh, a little bit, not entirely starved of success, but they've been kept pretty hungry um, through long periods of 
of that country's cricket and so you know to to, to see the the younger dynamism of it and the, the the fact that we can look to the future keeps us sane, I think, in a lot of pursuits. Right, Jeff, back to the home front. Uh, we said off the top that yep. you were at the Junction Oval uh, on Sunday. Uh, you were also at uh, the casino on Monday, not to, to rehash your former life as a... What did you used to do at the <laughs> casino? You, you worked the roulette tables in you as yeah. a kid. Yeah, roulette, blackjack, I knew how to... I can still pick up a stack of chips and tell you from the feel whether there are 20 or 21 in the stack. So well, uh, I'm sure you stayed well away from, from, from there and, and made your way to the ballroom for the Australian Cricketing Awards, the artist formerly known as the Alan Border Medal. Uh, I must admit, this creeps up on me each year. It's, it's a yep. sort of event where I sort of diminish it a little bit and sort of say, oh, you know, I don't even know who, who's won it from year to year, but it does generate mm. a lot of headlines. And, and this year, perhaps more than ever before, uh, due to the fact that David Warner pipped Steve Smith at the post, Pat Cummins was a in at third place. I think he was probably the, the the pick for most experts going in. But when you look back at the the way the voting system works, it makes complete sense that Warner, notwithstanding his poor Ashes series, was was right there at the very end. And um, but it didn't mean that people didn't crack the shits, which made it very amusing. Yes, um, and that's that's the most important thing. As long as it was funny when people got mad, it <laughs> it was. Look, I, I I was surprised at the time because I just sort of I, I didn't quite have my head around the numbers, and I thought that you know, given the amount of cricket that Pat Cummins had played, he was likely to get enough sort of one and two votes through the whole year, whereas the other two had missed a big chunk. I, I didn't mm. actually think Smith was going to win it because I thought, you know, Smith had Smith would have got top votes in probably four test matches, but not a whole lot besides. And that's pretty much how it panned out. But I suppose I'd, uh, I'd, I'd split into two parts in my head, the fact that Warner absolutely dominated the World Cup and then that he also dominated the home summer where he basically, what, well, he was out once in six T20s, so mm. he, he would have got full votes from there. He would have got votes in probably, what, seven out of ten matches at the World Cup, maybe roughly something like that, and he would have got um, votes in, what, three hundreds in the home summer in the test matches, so he would have got um, a stack of votes there as well. So in the end, he only got it by one vote, but it, it, we, it, given that consistency, and I, I understand what what people are getting going on about when they say, well, in, in the most important series, he, he wasn't there, but he was there in all of the other cricket that was played versus, and Smith, it was almost the inverse where he was just otherworldly in that one series, but didn't do a whole lot um, to, to light up any of the other matches he played a couple of good t20 performances but you know not too much in the world cup and not too much in the um the home white ball stuff or the home tests and of course it isn't the only award handed out elise perry won her third belinda clark medal which was a fait accompli given how magnificent uh, she's been over the last 12 months taking it to a whole other level i think well you could have argued it wasn't necessarily it was she she won it on the basis of the test match uh, because healy won the the t20 and the odi true true um not not by heaps but you know won them both and the fact that perry would have hoovered up every available vote in the test match um, would have, whereas Healy didn't make a run in the test match, would have been, you know, that was the thing that, that inverted, you know, last year Healy won the two minor prizes and the and the major prize, so if you can put it that way, whereas this year, given they had a test match, Perry was able to bank votes, serious votes in that match. No, that, 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 fair enough, but nonetheless, it, it felt right that she, I think that she uh, took out the prize, mm. given that the, the two biggest moments in, in the Australian women's cricket team this year would have been um, her seven-wicket haul at Canterbury yeah. and her century in the Test match down in Taunton, which we were lucky enough to be in attendance for, for both of those. So well done to Elise Perry. And, and Marta Slabashane, I mean, we sort of just take it as assumed now that Labashane will be on stage and uh, be making headlines uh, for, for positive, mm. um, for good. Uh, and, and really, it's remarkable to think that it was only in the middle of August when he entered the test side and started this incredible run but in such a short space of time he, he's gone on to, to win the, the test player of the year joining of course the most famous winner of that award Colin Miller back in 2000 yeah. 2001 <laughs> so uh, a nice honours board there but um, yeah so Marnus Labuschagne uh, capping uh, his, his golden summer yeah, and, and I think I made the point online that if you were going to get annoyed about Warner winning the AB medal ahead of Smith, you should be 
more annoyed at, at Manus winning the Test Player of the Year ahead of Smith because um, the arguments against Warner where he only made test runs at home on, on home tracks when, when it was easy. Well, Manus made all of his hundreds at home when it was supposedly easy. And I also would make the point that if it was easy, why didn't Steve Smith make hundreds um, at home on the flat tracks versus the shit teams? Because that's supposedly the narrative. So, you know, what what was going on that, that he wasn't able to make those scores? A little bit of news, which won't be news by the time this podcast uh, is published, I'm sure, but uh, Glenn Maxwell, regrettably, uh, isn't going to be going to South Africa. Um, he is uh, suffering with an elbow injury, which he acquired during the big bash for the Melbourne Stars. He played through pain, uh, as we learnt today, via statement uh, at the back end of that tournament. He's Did I read, Jeff, that there's some bone cartilage which has been displaced in there, which they need to tidy up via an arthroscope, and, and that will mean that he, he yeah. can't play on this tour. So pretty rubbish timing for Maxi, really, given that he gets his opportunities to return to the national side at the, at the shoulder of the season. Perhaps he could have uh, laid a foundation for why he should get another opportunity to play um, in the test side against Bangladesh. I know it would have been a long shot, had he made a stack of runs there, that would mm. have been, I'm sure, taken into consideration. But um, that, w- that won't be the case. And I assume that'll mean he, he won't be playing for Victoria in the short term either. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Is you'd think if he's missing an Australian tour, at least he could play some Shield cricket. But mm. that won't be the case. He, he Basically, he said he couldn't. He couldn't play without pain. He couldn't swing through the ball um, properly without being distracted by worrying about the arm. So, you know, what are you going to do at, at, at that point as a player um, if you, you're not sure that you can contribute properly? So he's in terms of playing in the T20 World Cup, it's probably safer to not go to have the operation, you know, and, and to not damage your reputation by not performing when you're playing injured. Uh, the final of the Big Bash League, which uh, Maxwell was uh, skippering the, the side uh, that lost on the night, the Melbourne Stars. I think there's probably more commentary, Jeff, around the Melbourne Stars not firing in that 12-over uh, <laughs> affair than, than the Sixers winning it. Um, but, uh, yes, uh, unfortunately for the Stars, a familiar tale in, in terms of making it to the postseason and, indeed, playing really well in their preliminary final to get into the final, which we didn't think would happen. I mean, the mindset going in would have been that I think when they flew to Sydney, they would have thought, well, we're going to lose this by uh, by a washout and, and, and the Sixers will get there having uh, mm. finished higher or qualified first, rather, for the final. But in the end, fantastic work from the ground staff to find a small window where it wasn't raining. They got them on and, and they had that 12-over bash, but, but the Stars were nowhere near it uh, with the Sixers bowlers, their international bowlers, Hazelwood, O'Keefe and, and Lyon, um, reducing the Stars to... Three for eighteen, chasing. I think it was one hundred and sixteen, and they were a long way behind, too far behind at that stage to, to seriously threaten. Yeah, well, two finals against uh, the Sixers in quick time. You know, both times chasing a pretty gettable target, and both times falling apart early. So, um, it, it was a fairly damp squib of a game, but it was um, it was old cruel intention. So. Ryan Phillippe uh, doing the job. I'm trying so hard to get that up at the moment. I, I, every time I mention him, I'm trying to get the Ryan Phillippe stuff up. I don't know whether I'll succeed or not, but <laughs> I want people holding up banners at the cricket about uh, placebo banners up at the cricket. <laughs> um, yeah, but look, he was he was the one who was worth the money to watch. Um, he's just he's just so clean so fresh uh, and and he's, he's never not been good to watch Jeff is it time is it time to ring that bell again I think it might be it is time is it time to open the final word mailbag <laughs> it is time for nerd pledge the game where nerds do pledges the game where people get on our patron page which is the way that they can financially and practically support the podcast uh, and instead of sending us normal amounts of money they send us amounts of money that have a cricketing significance in terms of their numbers that is what nerd pledge is um, there are also some non-nerds so we'd like to send out some thanks to some non-nerds who've signed up with normal uh, just just round uh, handsome plain, simple dollar amounts. They're, they're not fucking around. They're just straight to the point. Nathan Woodcock is one of those. Thank you, Nathan. Dana Branny has jumped on board to support. Eloise has come through just uh, casually dropping dollars on the table. And I tell you what, Addie Walsh has just got a stack of bills out of the wallet and is just 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 raining tenors all over the final word. Um, so absolutely outstanding work Amazing. from you four who've come through. 
First, we have revisions on numbers that we did not guess right in previous weeks because if we don't get your number, you can let us know uh, by sending us a message on Patreon and that is exactly what McGonagall did. Uh, we spoke about McGonagall on the show. You're off the case, McGonagall. No, you're off your case, Chief. Um, sent through 614, 614, $6.14. What did 614 mean? We were looking at bowling figures. We were looking at cap numbers. We had, we had a few options. They were all wrong. But McGonagall sent a message and just just gave me a slight little hint and I realised, and I was filled with shame that I hadn't guessed this, 614, Adam, you you and I, we both have a, a close relationship with this number. 614 mm. is the number of runs that Adam Voges made when he set the world record for the most runs scored between dismissals yes. when he broke Sachin Tendulkar's record uh, uh, after the, the double hundred against the Windies and then the, the New Zealand one as well, I think, and uh, yep. the most runs between being dismissed in test cricket. I think he was, he, was dismissed at, he was dismissed in the first innings at Perth and then he wasn't mm. dismissed again until the first innings at Christchurch, if I recall correctly, and there's yeah, 614 runs were scored between times and a couple of those double tons and what a great summer it was. Yes, the summer of Jorge Luis Voges, <laughs> as I liked to call him at the time. Um, right, let's get into some numbers. Nerd Pledge numbers have been sent in by Robin Fritz. Robin Fritz has sent in 310. Mm. Uh, 310 is on my mental list of triple hundreds is John Edrick. Yes, um, that's true. It was has various grandstands named after him in London. Yes, or gates he has or things. gates at the Oval and, and the, the new stand. I, I saw the new Edrick uh, and Compton stands uh, last week when I was mm. in Lords, actually. Um, well, as in, I've seen the, the early... Um, the early foundations being laid. It does look very different uh, seeing Lords without the two grandstands either side, but it's going to be a wonderful, mm. um, wonderful product when they've finished putting it up. Uh, I think it's going to be ready for the international there this year. Alas, uh, 310 um, is also the number of wickets that Brett Lee took in Test cricket. Ah, uh, yes, which so Mitchell Johnson bettered him by three, didn't he? Sounds he went up about to 313, right. Mitchell yeah. Johnson. Yeah, so I and, I can and that was that was the last thing. Just towards the end of his career, he snuck past Brett Lee into fourth, fifth spot on the all-time Australian list. But Lathan Lyon's gone past him. Yeah, so I'd say that yeah. there's a chance it could be that. Just having a quick scan here, Terry Alderman was the 310th Australian man to play Test cricket. Of course, Alderman played 41 Test matches and claimed. 170 mm. wickets, the bulk of those, well not the bulk, well actually yeah indeed the bulk of those, maybe not quite, uh, in the England series uh, in uh, 1981 and 1989 I think he picked up 40 apiece, so 80 of his 170 wickets coming in, in two series, uh, so it could be a West Australian there, um, Robert Fritz, but... I reckon um, it's John Edrich. I've just got a feeling. I reckon Fritz is an Edrich yep, man. Yeah, I just, I just have that vibe. Well, there we go. So we've got a few options there for you, Robin. Thank you so much uh, for your contribution, your nerd pledge. Who's next, Jeff? Sebastian Goldsmith. Ah, uh, a, a, friend a of the show. Loyal, a loyal follower of the show. Um, one of only two persons to be at both the Melbourne and the Adelaide live show, aside from you and me. We mm. were at both of them. Uh, thus, thus making up a quartet. We could all have a have a nice dinner, sitting, <laughs> dream dinner party. <laughs> Me, you, Sebastian Goldsmith. Well, I've and, got I've got uh, the, I've got the fourth person for that. Then, if that's the case, uh, given okay. Sebastian's uh, state loyalties, I think the fourth person joining us, and we can talk about two hundred and fourteen, will be be Greg Blewett at Johannesburg uh, from mm -hmm. uh, nineteen ninety seven. Another South Australian. How's that sound to you? I think that's a very good chance that that's true. But I just really want someone to make it. Victor Trumper for his highest <laughs> test score. Every time we've had 214, I've said it's Victor it's Trumper. It's got to be Trumper same this time. As, same as every time it's 216, I say it's got to be Clary Grimmett's telly of test wickets. And it never has been. No one's done Trumper for me. They'll say, oh, no, it's Greg Blewett. Why have <laughs> Greg Blewett when you can have Victor Trumper? Greg Blewett, Victor Trumper, they're not on the same page. But they go, oh, no, it's, it's, it's Greg Blewett. Or it's we, David um, Lloyd. Or it's Sachin in Bangalore in 2010. Or it's Gordon <laughs> Greenwich at Lords. What's wrong with Victor fucking Trumper, anybody? We, anybody got a problem with Victor Trumper? <laughs> Apparently you do. We interviewed Greg Blewett on the uh, greatest season that was the Australia 
Monday um, series. Why didn't you interview Victor Trump? A couple Trumper? of weeks ago. And Why? I, and he, we've never had a better prepared guest. He really did his homework and really loved um, sitting down and talking to us about uh, that summer when he had his breakout season. And, uh, of course, that was capped by a century mm. on to build Adelaide and another one the week after at Perth. And um, he, we also... Um, talk to him more broadly about his international career and that double hundred at Johannesburg so um, I've, I've got a lot of love for Bluey at the moment so I kind of hope it is uh, 2.14 given the South Australian connection I'm, I'm going to tip that it is. Sorry Trumper comes another day. Uh, thank you Sebastian and third and last for today we do still have plenty more on a list so if we haven't got to you uh, please sit tight. We will. John Holmes uh, the original and the best. John <laughs> Holmes has sent us through a pledge of 2.62 uh, $2.62. Yeah. Now, well, there's a few options here, and I've got a... Th- well, it depends when it was sent in, because if it's someone who uh, likes what we've been doing with Daniel Norcross... No, it be... would have been pre-Norcross. It okay. Would have been well, we did mention... Oh, I would just note that we did mention uh, Headley Verity um, last week, or maybe the week before, okay. uh, who was the 260, 262nd... Test cricketer for England, who of course uh, sadly died mm. uh, in the uh, Second World War in Italy in 1943. So that's one, two, six, two. What else you got there, Jeff? What you got for me? Dennis Amos made 262 oh, yeah? against in Kingston in 1974. That's a good one. Um, Tomo's Tomo's cap number. Tomo's cap number. Stephen Fleming of New Zealand made it. Uh, 262 in Cape Town in 06. It's not his highest score though, because mm-hmm. he got a slightly bigger one. Uh, he got a two. 70 odd 274 I think um, bigger than that so we got a couple of big doubles so might be a big Stephen Fleming fan Brad Haddon took 262 catches for Australia that feels oh, yeah. that feels that's like that's pretty good it's not a bad Brad Haddon one. was running around at the um, at the bushfire game having a good old time enjoying himself yeah, good stuff so maybe it's yeah maybe we'll throw a bone to Brad Haddon yeah, let, let's get let's make it Brad Haddon, but uh, John Holmes, if we've got it wrong, do let us know. Uh, thank you so much to everyone who's um, dropped us a, a nerd pledge in, in recent times. As we mentioned last week, Jeff, we're going to be doing a little bit more um, on the Patreon page in the coming weeks. We'll, we'll, we'll pad this out properly in a separate episode. We were going to do it last week, but... Mm. Didn't quite get around to it, but we're committed to doing something daily on the Patreon page during the Women's World Cup. Let's put it that way. So um, yep. we'll explain exactly what that is uh, when we get a little bit closer to that tournament uh, between now and then. But keep an eye out there on the feed. Hopefully that'll um, encourage you to, to be part of that conversation with us on there. Uh, and of course, Jeff, if you are one of our patrons and we value value all of you uh, greatly, um, you can drop us a line uh, through that page as well, which we've got a couple of lovely emails in this week. Yes, yeah, so- you can send us a direct message on the patron page and we, we had a, some correspondence in from Rick Gosh who uh, let us know he said I was training for my first marathon and I think I listened to basically every daily show you did uh, I ran the <laughs> Melbourne Marathon last month and your podcasts were a big help I'm based in Singapore so you've definitely got one fan here and the interview with Kate Cross was potentially his favourite so Love that it. makes me happy because that was a great interview it was. but um, yeah also that it, it it's nice that someone besides the two of us listen to every Daily Show, and uh, on the, on the, and Kate's in Australia right now, preparing for the Women's World Cup. So there's a nice tie in there. I'm sure Jeff that at some point during that tournament, you can you can uh, you can collar her to, to participate in, in one of our uh, daily hits. But as I say, we'll mm. more on that when we uh, when we get a bit closer. Yeah, it was on the telly today. Uh, they they popped a shot of her up sitting in the crowd watching, and Lisa Stalega says, "Oh yeah, that's Kate Cross, the England international." And right at that moment, the uh, the cameraman cuts to a, a shot of about a three year old wandering down the hill somewhere. <laughs> okay, that's not Kate Cross. Um, uh, also had a very nice email in from Cam Terro, who was on Nerd Pledge a few weeks ago, who uh, said that he discovered the show during the Men's World Cup and especially enjoyed your daily shows via trains and cars, etc. Uh, apparently, like I mentioned in the end of year episode. Cam is a dad who listens often while doing the washing up, so I'm glad to hear that. But but also a really nice note where Cam said that um, your podcast brought some light during some dark patches in the last year, not just because it's funny, because that's usually not enough, but also because of its depth and its character. Like we would have said in the 80s, it's tops. All the best with what's coming this year, including your baby, Adam, which may be your most important job yet, and it may. Thank you, Cam. Uh, it is. I, I don't agree. I think this podcast <laughs> is your most important job. Yeah. No. Well, I'm sure. Um, I'm sure. Uh, if you like baby content, I'm sure there'll be plenty of it on the final word as well, uh, Cam. When the time comes, I'm sure I won't be able to help myself. But um, uh, 
That's lovely. Yeah, these are great messages to get through. So thank you for those that have jumped on the, the direct message on Patreon and for everyone for being involved in Nerd Pledge. Uh, it's a, a lovely part of our show and we'll be back more with more of it rather um, next week. If you want to send us a Nerd Pledge, you can go to patreon.com slash the final word and sign up, send us a message and we will get your pledge on the show. Uh, Jeff, uh, let's have a breather. Let's have it. Let's a couple of words from our friends on the sea bus and then to a new segment. Hi, I'm Ebony Rainford-Brent and you're listening to The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. Seba Super, friends, supporters, partners of The Final Word, Jeff, and that th- th- we've been back with them and we're going to be with them throughout the year, uh, which of course means that we've been receiving a lot of messages on social media about where are the T-shirts from the World Cup and the Ashes, and, and you're right to hold us to account for that, uh, and we're going to do our level best to uh, go back uh, through the archives of Twitter mentions and, and emails past and, and dig those out because we're determined to get on top of that. We're sorry about uh, that falling off uh, the agenda at the very end of the English summer when we were absolutely exhausted but uh, um, the t-shirts do remain in in Seabus uh, headquarters in Melbourne there and uh, we will be finding a way to get them out to you soon and we will find ways to make new t-shirts and uh, have new offers uh, through the course of 2020. It just makes me really sad to think that there there are people out there potentially shirtless running around frosty cold nothing to wrap around themselves because they don't have the Seabus final word t-shirt that we never sent them <laughs> and uh, I'm sorry I'm sorry that I'm sorry that your your children aren't wearing the t-shirts I'm sorry that you weren't able to give them out as Christmas gifts but look we'll do our best uh, 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 yes we'll try uh, so Seabus industry superannuation fund but Jeff they, they do an awful lot more than that they understand the risks of working in the building construction and allied industries uh, it's an unpleasant thought but but it's worth noting that if something did happen to you and you weren't able to work anymore due to serious illness or injury, how long would you be able to survive uh, losing that income or indeed if something tragic happened and someone passed away? So uh, that's why it's essential uh, that we we, we talk about uh, this topic in in the context of what CBUS offer, which is members' insurance options, which can can be tailored to meet the needs of people working in the building, construction and allied industries. Of course, cbussuper.com.au or 1300 Six one seven eight four. That's cbussuper.com.au or call one three hundred three six one seven eight four to get more information. Uh, Jeff, uh, we're going to talk about uh, different products and services that CBUS provide uh, through through the year. But uh, that's an important one, isn't it? To make sure that uh, we, we we account for things that might be unforeseen. Well, look, as someone who nearly lost a nipple in the last week, um, I can tell you that it can come out of nowhere. Um, I had a I had a knee injury today playing competitive frisbee. You just never know. Um, you never know when things can go wrong. And you've got to be prepared for these eventualities. So I'm someone who knows that things can happen unexpectedly. They can come out of nowhere. And, and there is a serious edge to that as well. And it's good to think about those possibilities and uh, plan against the things that you hope won't happen. So as a reminder again, that's cbussuper.com.au. You can call one three hundred three six one seven eight four. We're absolutely thrilled uh, to be working with CBUS on the final word throughout 2020. It is now time, Adam, for the new segment that I've been <laughs> promising for several months. We keep saying, we'll do it next week, and then our show ends up being uh, an hour and 48 minutes long, and we say, no, we won't. We won't do it this week. We'll do it next week. I don't know how long we're going today, but we are doing it this week. It is... It's the stat man. <laughs> we, need, we need some theme music for it or something. I'm not sure if you're just doing it. Doing Scatman Joe each week is going to cut the mustard. We'll, no, we'll work on something. Might. Look, I'm looking into that. I'm looking into, um, you know, what uh, what I can find. You might have to ask permission. Can provide. You might have to ask permission yeah. to use the music. Which How do we buy the rights? Well, I, I think we should explore that. C- can you can yeah. you source Scatman Joe during the week and, and find a way to... Scatman John. Scatman John, sorry, sorry. It was on yeah. Hit Machine yeah. 10, I do remember that. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jeff, lay, lay it on me. I don't know a lot about what the stat man's going to be, but I, I okay. suspect I'm going to be involved somewhere. The stat man somewhere. is thing, things that I find interesting right. um, that should probably be... They, they would be nerd pledges if I was sending them to myself, maybe, um, or, but, but that, would, that would be largely pointless. But they're, they're statistical anomalies that I find interesting. And one thing that we've discussed a fair bit on the show but never gone into was how many 
shit bowlers got Sachin Tendulkar out as their first test wicket? <laughs> or how many good bowlers? There's some good ones too, matter? yeah. Peter Siddle's it, a pretty good it, bowler. Peter Siddle is a, a pretty good bowler. So it seemed like it seemed like there were a lot of bowlers whose first test wicket was Tendulkar. Right. And and I think I had it in my head that Nathan Horowitz's first test wicket was Tendulkar, but it was not. It was his fourth test wicket. Um, but, but somewhere in my head I was like, everybody got Sachin Tendulkar as their first test wicket because <laughs> every Australian tour there seemed to be a, a range of players who would um, debut and then get him out. Um, and so I wanted to know who... Who else? Who were they all? So I had to manually I guess go through one? the entire list. Yes, you can. <laughs> I know you know a couple. You've already said Peter Siddle, so there's one. Was well, there a, Peter George as well, wasn't it? Yes. One of the Spot myriad on. two-metre Peters. Peter Fulton, uh, Peter George, Peter Street, uh, mm-hmm. Peter Crouch. There, there are a lot of two-metre Peters around the sporting globe, and <laughs> um, Peter George is definitely one of them. He's, the, he's, doing a, he's doing a good service at the moment, Jeff, which relates yeah. to something we talked about earlier on the show. He's developing technology in bowler boots, which will mean that they can automate no balls. Mm. So the idea being that, I don't know how this works exactly, but it, it, it will it will be able to work out when a bowler's front foot is entirely over the line based on the, the, the chip that's in the heel of the boot. So uh, a nice little uh, crossover with uh, with what we were talking about Has at the start Has he considered just looking at the TV monitor and... And using his <laughs> eyes because that'd be quite a bit easier and, yeah. and less expensive. I yeah, imagine. yeah, perhaps so. You probably have to invent less stuff. So um, who else have we got? So two, the two players. So, so look, what I'm going to tell you is we've got eleven. Eleven, 11. players dismissed Sachin Tendulkar for their first Test wicket, and one of them was Peter Siddle, and one of them was Peter George, and uh, there is another. I think it'd be safe to say mediocre Australian bowler on, on that list of of the same era, the same vintage, mm. which I reckon you should know. Okay, let's do the sums on this. Okay, oh, right, right, right. Okay, so bowlers that played in the 2008 and 10 tours of India, in other yep. words, the tours that not yep. a single human being watched, I reckon yep. they're the two least... Uh, they're the series that are played totally yep. off-Broadway in footy season. Uh, mm-hmm. Could it be Living the Crazy Laugh, Living the Veda, Luke, uh, Jason Crazier? No, not Crazier. He, mm. he, did, he did get, you know, what, a dozen... Wickets in a test, but he was not his first. Mm, was it was, his first. It was around that time. Um, oh, it, it was well. Crazier was on the 2010 tour, wasn't he? 2008. 2008. Okay. He wasn't so the only spinny. Actually, on? uh, Cameron White was. Uh, there we go. The, the, there we go. Cameron, Cameron White. White. Cameron White's first test wicket. And what I particularly like is two of Cameron White's six test wickets were Sachin Tendulkar. Excellent. <laughs> so 33% of his test wickets. He's always who I benchmark, benchmark myself against in terms of people with a bit of cricketing talent mm-hmm. who really went. Because he's the guy that was, you know, in the nets with us at rep cricket when we were 15 or whatever it was. And he's the one that was destined for, for great things. And when he, when he made it um, obviously to play first 11 for Danny Nong and on mm. to play for Victoria the year after and I remember his first uh, wicket for Victoria was was Michael Bevan he, he picked him mm-hmm. up with a lovely little wrong and caught it first slip I've looked on YouTube for it um, for years and unfortunately Rob Alinda uh, doesn't seem to have it but it definitely happened and, it's, and it lives in mm. my mind's eye so I'm glad that Cameron White gets a mention here I also like the fact that Peter George took two test wickets one of which was Sachin Tendulkar um, <laughs> so, so those, are, those are those three but if we go through the list, there are some terrific ones here. Hansi Cronier's first test wicket. Yeah, right. Hansi Cronier. I keep getting in trouble from from my from my um, from my partner Rach for I'm already shortening body parts of the, or, or you know giving nicknames to the, the baby's body before it's even born. And I've been I've, I've taken to saying, "Oh, I can feel the baby's handsies." Um, and she's like, "What's wrong with you?" And I go, "You don't understand. You don't know who Hansi Cronier is. It's a bit of a thing." Um, but yes, I'm glad. <laughs> Welcome, Hansi Cronje, to the final word, wherever you are. <laughs> um, a, a couple of the less interesting but notable ones, Jacob Oram's uh, first test wicket, mm. Monty Panasar's first test wicket. Mm. But then we get into a couple that I find particularly amusing. Um, well, Mark Elam is another one that will interest you. He's, nice. he's sort of niche enough to, nice. to spark your interest. Mark Elam, eight tests for England, picked up Tendulkar. But the ones, there are a couple I really love here. So Ruan Kalpaje. Sri Lankan all-rounder who I'll take your word for 12, it. <laughs> who, who picked up 12 wickets in 11 tests at an average of 64. <laughs> First victim, SR Tendulkar. <laughs> um, Neil Johnson, who averaged four oh. he for Zimbabwe. Oh. Be still my beating heart. His, his first test wicket, Sachin Ramesh Tendulkar, his second test wicket, Sachin Tendulkar. 
he had an amazing record, Neil Johnson, against high-quality opposition. He uh, yeah. propelled Zimbabwe into the Super Sixes of the uh, 1999 World Cup in a best-of-field effort with bat and ball against South Africa, um, where he, he dominated that, that final uh, group fixture, which had all these different ramifications, including having England kicked out of the tournament as well. But um, I think on, on that occasion, he picked up three wickets with the new ball and made 80-odd with the bat. He, of course, he made a century at Lords against Australia in the Super 6 phase of that tournament and never played for mm-hmm. Zimbabwe again. He went off and played uh, domestic cricket in South Africa and that's kind of the end of the Neil Johnson story. But for a brief moment, um, he was alongside Lance Klusner, the, the sort of the dominant all-rounder of the 99 World Cup. Yeah, well, there you go. Um, his first two wickets in Test cricket, Sachin Tendulkar. Um, and then just to beautifully round it off, Ujesh Ranchod, a Zimbabwean off-spinner, who picked up one wicket in Test cricket. That was Sachin Tendulkar. Yeah. And also Andy McKay, uh, who bowled for New Zealand, took one for 120 in his career, and that one was Sachin Tendulkar. <laughs> so, so those are all the firsts. Uh, Paul Rifle's second wicket, Cameron Cuffey's second wicket, Jermaine Lawson's uh, second and third wickets after getting Dravid as his first wicket. So that was pretty good. Um, and then I've just got a couple of bits of, of Sachin dismissal curiosities for you, which I think uh, you'll enjoy. Peter Taylor's last test wicket was Sachin Tendulkar because he was dropped for Shane Warne in the next test. Yep. Uh, I think it was Jonathan Liu who said um, who said during the 2017 Ashes, uh, he probably wrote it knowing Louis, uh, that when Craig Overton... Uh, picked up Stephen Smith as his first test wicket. He's like your first kiss mm. being Claudia Schiffer, which in fairness yep. does date one when they use a 1990 supermodel, but, um, sure. it, but it did feel about right, so it's, it's such and being the equivalent. <laughs> yes, but, but you know, for Peter Taylor, that was his last, so he bowed out on a good note. Um, Richard Dawson, the off-spinner who bowled the delivery that Steve Ward covered drove for four to bring up his 100 yep. in Sydney in uh, 2003, was it? Um, yep. Richard Dawson... Uh, got Tendulkar in his second test. Lance Klusner only got Tendulkar in his second test. So when Klusner made his debut, he took eight for in an innings against India and none of them were Sachin Tendulkar. <laughs> he had to wait until his second test to get Tendulkar out. Um, and the other bit I liked was that Ajantha Mendes, the, the Sri Lankan mystery spinner, had a series where he picked up 26 wickets against India. He didn't get Sachin until the 25th of 26 <laughs> through that entire series. Could not get him until right at the end. So those are the Sachin dismissal um, ephemera that I have. And that is the end of the Statman. That's the Statman. Beautiful work, Jeff. Uh, that's very good. I'm going to enjoy that segment an awful lot. It'll be educative uh, as well. Uh, before we move on to the popuri section of the show, a word um, from Wisdom Cricket Monthly as well. Of course, the deal uh, with them at Wisdom Towers has been going great guns. Six editions of the magazine for six quid, ten of your best Australian dollars, and you can tuck into the best cricket magazine in the world at the very easy hyperlink bit.ly, so bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y, forward slash W-C-M final. doesn't get any easier than that. No code required uh, for six editions of the best mag in the world. A new edition coming out in a couple of weeks. Jeff, uh, due to the aforementioned um, uh, upcoming birth uh, of my uh, firstborn, that's poorly articulated, but you know what I'm trying to say. You're filling my spot in the magazine, so I can't <laughs> wait to see what you file there. I'm sure that uh, I'm sure you'll file something wondrous. I, I'm sure it will be too. I, I haven't finished writing it. Um, <laughs> I should be writing it right now, but I'm recording this podcast instead where I'm advertising the magazine that it might be in. So <laughs> the snake is eating its own tail. Um, we, yeah, look, the, there will be a lot in the magazine that's not by me as well. Um, they've got a whole segment on English batting, uh, the legends and lineage that make up the history of great English batsmanship, which English people will enjoy reading because it will make them feel good, and Australians will enjoy reading because they can laugh at it. This is a really good idea. So, so what uh, Phil Walker and, and Joe Harmon have done is they've got a series of writers to draft essays on different batsmen who have defined the era they've played in for England. So, I know, for example, that this is quite amusing that Daniel Norcross has been commissioned to write the piece on Jeffrey Boycott. So, <laughs> I'm looking forward to uh, uh, seeing what he what he says there. But yeah, you know, from I guess from 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 uh, from Grace to, to Ranji to 
Uh, mm. you know, Hobbes and Hammond and so on and all the way through to the modern times. So there'll be a series of essays from uh, accomplished writers on that, which are, that's going to be yeah. a great feature. I'm looking forward to getting stuck into that. They've also got their um, their top teens section, um, which is uh, something they do each year. They look at some of the best international players who are still teenagers. Uh, that's a section that Jeff, you and I have contributed to in the past. In this edition, they're looking at the England players. Oh, and also another annual staple of Wisdom Cricket Monthly is when they get stuck into all the new bats, which... I know Phil Walker, he's worked at uh, Wisden for a long time and I think that it's his favourite day of the year when he, a fantastic cricketer in his own right, Phil, in the Essex League, he gets to trial all the bats. Uh, I think from memory they take the stickers off the blades and they kind of assess how they've gone um, Mm. and it's sort of like a blind tasting. Yeah, that's right. And and they give a sort of an authentic read on how they think each bat's performed in in the lead up to the northern season. I know I bought a cricket bat based on, on their recommendations a few years ago, which I haven't used very often. But uh, that that is a, a part of this month's offering as well. Yes, you can get hold of it. Go to bit.ly slash WCM final and get yourself the best value cricket magazine subscription that you can buy. Let's race through some pop puree before we... Uh, put a stop to this week's edition of the show. Uh, the Women's Tri-Series, Jeff, uh, we've, uh, we're have we building towards uh, that tournament starting on the 21st of February. The warm-up series between Australia, England and India has finished while I was asleep, but you were watching mm-hmm. it closely. Australia uh, have, have got over the line. Uh, Jess Jonathan took a fifer um, to do so against India. Uh, it, it felt like the right result, but they were hard-held. Yeah, Australia haven't been playing that well when they've been defending in this series, conceded a big total to India the other day who were chasing and so I, I think the Australians opted to, um, to to set themselves up to defend just to give themselves a test as well right. at the end of this series so um, that's what they did batted first made a decent score um, got a little bit of a, a boost at the end and got up past 150 on a pitch that was a little bit tired it looked like the Indians would cruise there with Mandano just doing what she does looking looking supreme at times some of the the shots she played but there was always that thought that you know that well a couple of wickets had already gone if 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 she goes at some point the rest could fall over in a heap and that's exactly what happened it was Megan Shute who got that breakthrough and got rid of Mandana and then it was Jess Jonathan and Perry sort of the old firm coming in and, and just squeezing and the Indian lower order have seemed to have no method when the pressure's on um, and just don't know how to go about trying to score. And a good sign for Australia, despite the fact that Elisa Healy made 15 runs in five innings during this series and has struggled a bit. There's Beth Mooney at the other end. She made an unbeaten 71, her opening partner. So uh, they're finding different ways to win, even though their, their biggest stars aren't all firing. At the same time, of course, uh, the first game of that tournament is also Australia and India playing each other at the Sydney Showgrounds on Friday, the 21st of February. That will be brilliant. And as we mentioned off the top, Jeff, uh, front foot no balls in the Women's World T20 will be adjudicated by the third umpire good news for all which which will be of interest to Nassim Shah who picked up a hat trick in the test match in Pakistan against Bangladesh and <laughs> it's just, it's just joy of joy stuff for Pakistan isn't it they've got test cricket happening back there Baba Azam's making hundreds then Nassim Shah comes in and uh, you know picks up a, a bag and picks up three in a row there was so much to love about this uh, it was actually happening at the same time it was against Bangladesh and Bangladesh were winning the under 19s World Cup while Nassim Shah was racing through their middle order um, you often see uh, you often see uh, hat tricks where it's Nine, you know, nine, ten, and Jack, who are the last three wickets or whatever it is. This wasn't that. He he broke a a partnership that was building uh, for the fourth wicket, I think it was, or third wicket rather, and went and took his three wickets just before the close to ensure that uh, Pakistan would go on and win that test match by an innings. But, um, Jeff, I'm sure you appreciated the celebre appeal um, that we saw with the second wicket, a leg before, where he, uh, he spooled away to, to backward point as though it was never not going to be given out. Uh, he didn't even appeal, really. <laughs> it was a, a Stuart Broad-esque areas there. So, fantastic stuff from Nassim Shah. Uh, Martin Laidler, uh, who's been to our live shows in the past, uh, made the point to us on Twitter that being just 16 years of age, it's unlikely that record will ever be broken. And I tend to agree, that being the youngest mm. man to take a test hat-trick. I mean, it's hard to conceive of how someone younger... Remember, of course, that Nassim's like the youngest player to have played test cricket for 20 years or something like that. So um, I, I reckon that that's something we'll never see again. And also, as Osman Sammy Uden pointed out on, on social media as it happened... 
the crowd. I mean, the fact that it happened in Pakistan, uh, it's exactly what Test cricket needed after returning to that country. And the home side went on to, as I say, have an innings victory. Barbara Azam, yet another 100 on home soil. I think that's three in three Test mm. matches since they've started playing Test cricket uh, back there. And, and also Sean Massoud, who I was taking an interest in uh, during uh, the Australian series and looks like he's sort of ready to yeah. make the next step. He, he also made a century at the top of the list. So Pakistan, after a terrible showing, really, uh, in Australia during November, have, have bounced back well there in the first test of a, of a two-game series against Bangladesh. Yeah, and won by an innings. And, and the only slightly sad note there is the, the, the somewhat marginalised role of Yasir Shah, who Osman also wrote about, about whether... You know whether the time in the UAE was Yassir's time, and and maybe the the time back home is less likely to be with pitches more favouring fast bowling and so on. But uh, I hope it's not. He's he's such a wonderful bowler. Jeff, let's put a full stop on the episode. A reminder that next week we have our Women's World Cup preview, so we'll focus a lot of energy on that uh, as we lead into that tournament. We'll also check in in South Africa and New Zealand, where of course there's men's international tours going on with England and India in those countries, respectively. Uh, as ever. Um, we thank our wonderful patrons for, for being part of the final word journey. We thank Muhammad Assam for being a great guest. We love Assam. He's one of the best people I've ever met in cricket and uh, to sort of yeah experience that enthusiasm uh, for the game in Bangladesh right now. It, it's, it's a really exciting time, I think, and hopefully they can capitalise on that. We'd also thank Seabus Super, the ones who provide the bus that goes in the sea, uh, and also Wisden Cricket Monthly, who support the show. Uh, you can find their details and the Wisden subscription offer in the show notes, so just go and uh, search through there for the links. And thanks to Bad Producer, of course, the production company that gets this show out the door and into your ear holes week in, week out, no matter what weird times of night or day, we <laughs> send them bits of audio, they do things to it, they make us sound good, and they get it to you. So thank you. Thanks, Jeff. It's been good fun as always. This has been the final word. Adam Collins, Jeff Lemon. Can't wait to do it all again next week. I had to go about it, write it out, and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. I had to fail, had to fall. Why should CBUS members have insurance through CBUS Super? Maybe it's because we understand the risks of working in our industries. Maybe it's because we offer cover that is tailored to protect building and construction workers, even those working at heights. Or maybe it's all of these reasons. So why not consider CBUS Super? CBUS for all of us. To consider if CBUS is right for you, visit cbussuper.com.au for a copy of the PDS.